0: This is Bethel Online. Welcome home. This is the next best thing to being at Bethel on Sundays. We are driven by making disciples of Jesus who make disciples. When you're online, interact with us on Facebook and Instagram. When you're in Barhead, Alberta, drop in Sundays to Friday. Our goal on this podcast is to ask questions, challenge certainty, and grow a relationship with Jesus so you can go the distance and bring others with you. Thank you for tuning in.
1: Aside. We're going to be here for a walk for a while, I think your pastor said three, four hours for the sermon? Yeah, five? Cool. So if you have lunch plans, you better cancel those right now because they are not going to be happening. I'm kidding. All right, all right. Matthew chapter, chapter 9, verse 9, let's read. It says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Jesus says, follow me and be my disciple. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? And when Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. And then he added, now go and learn the meaning of the scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. Will you pray with me this morning? Jesus, we thank you so much. We thank you for your word. We thank you that, Lord, you're here in this place right now. Lord, as, as we've worshiped, as we've sung song to you and just invited you into this place, we know you're here and we know that you can and will speak to us. Lord, I know that you have a, a word. You have something you want to say to each person here today. Uh, Lord, you love everyone. You love each person that's here today, whether, uh, Lord, they've been following you or whether maybe this is the first time that they've been to church. Maybe this is the first time they've set, stepped inside a church. Lord, I pray that each person here would know that their love they're welcome here, and that, Lord, you have something in store for us. So I pray, speak to us, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. Have you ever been to the doctor's office before? A hospital, maybe? Do you guys have those out here in Barhead? Oh, come on, come on. I'm just trying to liven up the room here. Um, when, I was, when I was born, um, when I took my first breath in, there was actually, um, I, there was holes that popped in each of my lungs. And so before I was even a, like a day old, um, I was rushed off in an ambulance to, to a hospital in, in, in another city. Um, and my parents were just kind of left thinking, man, what's going to happen? Um, you know, we don't, we don't know. We weren't expecting this. This wasn't what we wanted. But... Um, my dad has told me so many times that he's like you know what that was a stressful time but I I made the decision to say I'm going to put I'm going to put Aaron in your hands God and um, I I was sent in in an ambulance overnight to this other hospital and um, some of the doctors at this other hospital were like yeah we need to perform surgery on this baby we need to do this whatever and then there was this head doctor that said you know what no no surgery is needed nothing's needed we're just gonna let him heal. And so over the course of a, a few days to a week, it, actually the, the holes in my lungs healed up and, and, I, and, I, and I'm fine today. But, you know, in, in that situation, there, there were people waiting for me. When, when, when I was taken from the hospital that I was born in to, to this other hospital in, in another city, there were staff waiting there at this other hospital. There was people waiting to, to receive me, to take care of me, to do what was needed to be done. But can you imagine if I had showed up at this hospital and the staff was just kind of like, ah, oh, yeah, it's another kid, but, you know, what are your weekend plans, you know? I hope, uh, hope the family's doing good. And, and, and what if they didn't attend to me, right? Maybe I would have been fine. Maybe I wouldn't have. But, see, I think, unfortunately, this is often a really great metaphor for what happens in our churches. I'll give you a second. I, I can, that stings. That kind of stings. This isn't, this is, this is, This. I mean, I'm not just saying this to, like, this is, this is what Barhead is. No, th- this, is, this is a lot of our churches, unfortunately. We, we've gotten to a place where, where we are comfortable, where we are. We're comfortable just doing church. We're comfortable coming together. We're comfortable with, with what's going on here and taking care of the needs that are inside. But so often, we're maybe a little bit ob- oblivious to what is happening on, on the outside. And so, um... Just as, as, as that is happening, um, I want to go back to the, the, the scripture here and just kind of give you a little bit of context to, to what we were reading. And so, Gospel of Matthew, um, Matthew, kind one of one of the central characters of, of this passage that we read, um, was literally the most unlikely person to become a disciple or to become an apostle. Uh, the Bible says that Matthew was a tax collector. Matthew had literally zero religious education whatsoever. Um, he should not have been in ministry according to, you know, the standards that maybe we have today. Um, but Jesus saw otherwise. Um, at the time, the Roman government, uh, they had devised the system for, t- for collecting taxes. Uh, to do it efficiently, to do it cheaply. So what basically their plan was is they would, they would auction off um, the right to to collect taxes in certain areas um, to different people. And so the person who would, who would you know, win the auction or, or, or win or, or pay the most amount of money to, um, to get this right was responsible to the government uh, for an agreed upon sum. And then everything, anything that he could raise over and above that, uh, he was allowed to keep for himself. Um, and obviously tax collectors abused this. Uh, if you know the story of Zacchaeus, um, that's what's going on there. Tax collectors were dishonest. They abused the system, took large amounts for themselves, and people didn't know any better. There wasn't internet at the time. There wasn't Facebook. There wasn't Instagram that they could just like you know check these stats and you know make sure like that people were collecting the right amount of taxes. They just tax collectors told them what they needed to pay, and and they paid it. Um, and, and at this time as well, um, there were the Jews, the Jewish people, God's people. Uh, what, what roused them more than anything was their, their conviction that God alone was king and that to pay taxes to any mortal ruler or to any government was an infringement of God's rights. Can I get an amen for those people that hate paying taxes? We gotta do it. They believe that this was an infringement on, on, on their beliefs and, and, and on God and it was an insult to his majesty. And so... The Jews were like, all right, cool, we hate tax collectors. So they did not allow tax collectors to enter into the the synagogues or the Jewish churches. Um, Basically, they put tax collectors, murderers, thieves, all in the same group. They were like, yeah, they're all the same kind of bad. We, we, We do not like them all. So Jews were not a fan of tax collectors. And Matthew's a tax collector. So with that in mind... Matthew is this guy that's absolutely hated by Jews, hated by really everyone in society. And that's what makes this so profound, because Jesus calls Matthew a man whom everybody hated. This is one of the greatest instances in the New Testament of Jesus' power to not see who people were, but see who people could be. Jesus really believed in humanity and believed in in the potential. Um, Jesus doesn't need us. But he wants us, he loves us, and he, he allows us to be a part of his plan, um, which I just think is amazing. Um, this, this, this story, this instance of, of Matthew being called by Jesus, it occurs um, directly after Jesus has declared his, his right and ability to for, forgive sins, and it occurs directly before this dinner for tax collectors and sinners. And basically, because the story, it, it sits right in between Jesus' declaring his right to forgive and then this dinner for for sinners and tax collectors That's saying Matthew was a sinner but Jesus offered him forgiveness sinners are are uh, it's a it's a biblical term basically just for bad people or or for people that you know maybe live a um a a lifestyle that that is not according to the bible or a lifestyle that we would we would you know term to be um just uh, immoral or, or 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 something like that and so the Pharisees were often offended by Jesus' willingness to hang out with sinners. The Pharisees, they, they imagined themselves as healthy and righteous. They, that, they thought that they were, and so they would, they would kind of demean other people. But in reality, it's the, the truly healthy are those who know they're sick and whom God has healed. So that's kind of context to this story. Um, one of our professors, uh, Mark McKnight, always says uh, a text without a context is merely a pretext. So I have fulfilled my duties from homiletics class. Um, feeling good right now. Um, you guys know what's going on. Um, basically, today we're talking about um, evangelism. We're talking about being outside focused. We're talking about not just looking to the inside, but looking to the people that are outside of our church as well. And so this, this term evangelism means to, to proclaim the good news of Jesus, to proclaim the good news of the victory of God's salvation. Jesus, even in this passage, we, 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 we can learn that he's calling us. He's calling us to bring people into the church. He's calling us uh, n- not just to be a church of people who think they're fine, but people who know that, hey, we're broken without Jesus. We need him and we can't just be content with who we have already in the building because there's so many people outside that need to hear the good news of Jesus. Can I get an amen this morning? I think it's so easy. You know, we, we get so caught up in, in, in prayer, in potlucks, and in purity. and Those are good things. Don't get me wrong. Potlucks are amazing. I believe that you guys probably put on the best potlucks in town. Um, but there's an outside world. There's an outside world that's not meant to be avoided. I think, uh, you know, in in past years, in past decades, there's been kind of a a big idea that we need to be separate from the world. We need to kind of close ourselves off. You know, we need to just be our own church, be our own people, and make sure that, you know, our kids are safe and everything like that. And those are are good intentions. But I think when we completely wall ourselves off from, from the world, we're removing any possibility of hope being spread to the world. Yes, you know, they're, they're, this is a sinful world, but it's filled with people that need the hope of Jesus. This message, I, 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 you know, right off the bat, I just want to say, it, this isn't meant to be demeaning to anyone here. This isn't meant to condemn any of us. I just think that sometimes we need a bit of a wake-up call and a reminder Uh, of our mission uh, and why we're here why why we're following jesus the purpose why why we do what we do we get to come together that's amazing we get to worship together we get to eat meals together that's amazing but at at the end of the day if we're just if we're just doing things if we're just doing christian things inside the church i think we've kind of missed the point i think we're kind of missing out on what jesus has called us to do and kind of the, the principle in this passage right here there's so many reasons why we're, we're, we're afraid to go out of our way to talk to people about Jesus. Sometimes we're, we're afraid of what people might say. We're afraid that maybe we don't know enough. We don't, we don't know well enough the gospel. We don't know, you know, maybe, maybe I won't be able to, you know, convey it in the right way. Maybe, you know, the person I'm talking to won't understand. And maybe I'll mess up. Maybe I'll forget certain parts of it, you know. Maybe you're just comfortable not right. Like you just, you're just like, no, I'm I'm good, I'm I'm good just being the Christian that I am. I'm good just you know being me and doing me. I think that sometimes we get we get too comfortable with that, and sometimes we need to step out of our comfort zone. So I could I could go on, I could I could keep talking. But the beauty about this morning and coming with the team is that there's more than one person that can speak, and so I'm really excited that uh, Dan Baker is going to take the second half of this message, so let's give a big hand to Dan.
0: Ah, shucks, Aaron. Yeah, you know, the beauty about being with the team is that the speaker is only as good as the team that he works with. So Johan, the band, Andy, getting everything together, Brad, making sure we all stay in line, and everybody in the middle. Thank you. Well, and kudos to Aaron, because that sermon, woo not an easy one to hear. I know, I know I like my comfort zone. My comfort zone is this nice lazy boy easy chair in the basement with my laptop in front of me on a nice desk built out of wood panels. <sighs> but I spend too much time down there. Yeah, I've heard the church has been described as a vast multitude of things. There have been various illustrations, and concepts have been crafted over the years that pretty well sum up the church. But one of the most accurate images I've seen in recent years comes from history. Now this goes back to 1912, and Brad Fossum. I remember this because that's when he graduated high school. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm kidding, kidding. Love you, Brad. You Pastor, brother, Reverend, Professor Fossum. You're the best. So in 1912, the White Star Sea Liner Company released its premier vessel, the RMS Titanic. It was big, it was bold, it was luxurious. Everybody said it was unsinkable. Everybody said it was the dream ship. It was going to carry the company to new heights and beat out all the rivals. Now, if you know history, I'm pretty sure you know that about 106 years ago, on the eve of April 15th, the ship struck an iceberg and sank, taking with it, over 1,500 people to the bottom of the ocean and becoming the greatest maritime disaster ever known. There are a few reasons why it was such a disaster. There were communication failures. There was substandard equipment. Or perhaps one of the biggest problems was that Titanic's lifeboats, designed to carry 65 people each, were only half full. And unfortunately, because nobody was properly informed, nobody bothered to get into the lifeboats except those who thought they should. And the church is like this. The ship is sinking, and the boats are half full. And we're not going back to save people from the inky abyss that awaits them because nobody was properly informed, and quite soon because we're safe and secure in our lifeboats, so who needs any more? You might swamp the boat, might upset The perfect balance that we've got going on. Comfort. Comfort. It's a curse. It really is. Now, back in 2016, there was a poll done by the Billy Graham Association that says 95% of Christians have never witnessed in their lives. That's pretty unfortunate. I don't know about you, but with a population of 7 billion people, Christianity making up maybe 2 billion, uh, what are you doing to reach the other 5 billion? I'm willing to say 95% of you haven't tried yet. Now, I don't mean to be condescending or demeaning, but 95% is a pretty big number to ignore. Now, Jesus talked about this. He says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 to 14 that the gate to destruction is wide and there are many who walk that path but narrow is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to life and few find it now Jesus didn't say that oh that's the accepted reality that's what's going to happen there a few who are going to survive and a few who are condemned eternally no that was a warning that was him saying go You, you, the few, on their way, go. Go get them. That was his point the entire time. You know, I've heard people say that Jesus was the ultimate social justice warrior. Now, I know that term has a lot of negative connotations these days, but think about it. When the Pharisees dragged the woman before him, he listened to her testimony when her testimony never would have stood up in a court during that time. He spent time with lepers, People who were condemned to the outskirts of the city because of how contagious their disease was, and nobody wanted to be around them. He spent time with the poor, the sick, the blind, the crippled. He spent time with people who were the lowest of the low in society. Somebody once said that if Jesus were to come back today and do exactly what he did in the Gospels, we would be the Pharisees in the story. That should say something about what we're like. So heads up, we haven't been doing our job. Jesus gave us the great commission, but uh, how many of you actually live by that? To go and make disciples of all the nations. I know I haven't. And maybe, maybe I know I'm not doing my job because, because I've got a mission field in my own backyard and that I haven't been doing anything about it. Two grandparents, three uncles, two aunts, two cousins, both of them less than 10 years old. <laughs> and already family members on that side have died, and I don't know where they're at right now. I know my dad has tried, I know my mom has tried to tell them the truth, but because of the past experiences they've had with church and because of their own personal beliefs when it comes to what we believe about the Bible, they're, they're hard to it. Maybe I've been reinforcing that on them. You now, the Bible says that hell is eternal separation from God, it is pain and suffering day in and day out. It is not a party, contrary to what ACDC has to say. And that's where these family members are going to go if I don't do anything about it. So it feels like it's desperate to me. In recent years, my eyes have been open to this. I've had the world's greatest opportunity to work alongside the district here in Alberta, and I have seen numbers that would shock you. And it all starts because we are safe and secure in our own little cliques. We are safe and secure in the way we are doing things, but the way we're doing things is wrong. It's unfortunately true. But because we like our comfort so much, we're not willing to do what it takes to change things. So what's the point of all this? Am I just raving on like a lunatic? Well, maybe. But I know that Jesus had something otherwise to say. He said to go and make disciples of all nations. And if what Jesus says is true, well, then you can believe that. So why should we tell others about Jesus? What's the point of us even trying in the first place? Well, C.S. Lewis, author of the Narnia books and a plethora of other texts, was once quoted as having said, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And, if true, is of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. And unfortunately, I think we all fall in the moderately important right now. That's how we perceive it. Yeah. Now, Some of you might be a little cold towards the pro- prospect of evangelizing. I get that. I really do. You're talking to a grade A introvert who turns turtle at the very thought of doing something like this. This is nerve-wracking right now. Why thank you? But when we do talk to people, we are fulfilling the Great Commission. So in other words, when we do it, we're doing what Jesus told us to do. Amen, hallelujah, we're done. Not quite. You're not getting up that easy. Going back to what C.S. Lewis said, do you believe that Christianity is important? Of infinite importance? If so, then tell people about it. If this is the most infinitely important news they're ever going to hear, why are we telling them about that? So if I have inspired you to do so, next question you're probably wondering is, how do I do that? Uh, I know the concept over the years has been just go and talk to people, but as I said, that can be a nerve-wracking experience, something that just freezes us where we stand. We get so afraid we we'll say, oh, somebody else will do it. But then somebody else says, oh, somebody else will do it. And it keeps going on and on and on until, well, until 95% of people have never witnessed before. And yet, Jesus said, I will be with you always. What did we just sing about? You have never failed me yet? If Jesus says, hey, go talk to that person, he's going with you. He will give you the words to say. In that moment, the Holy Spirit will tell you what to say to that person because they know exactly what they're going through. So you can't do it because you're not doing it alone. You have no reason to be afraid. If you're worried about rejection, if you're worried about being ostracized, if you're worried about being mocked, who cares? Jesus was mocked? Uncharacteristically so to the point where, well... None of us will ever want to go through that. But Jesus said, if they hate me, how much will they hate you? Christianity is on the downfall these days. And we're not liked terribly much if you take a look at the news. So yeah, it's going to be hard. I won't beat around the bush. It's going to be an uphill battle to just try to talk to somebody. But because Jesus is with us, we can take heart in the fact that if he calls us, to do something, he will be right there with us. Because that's what he promised us. Just make sure you're listening and that your heart hasn't grown cold to the influence of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit can tell you, go talk to that person. And your first thought is, nope, 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 nope. That's not me. That's not what I want to do. I'm sure you're talking about somebody else. No, I'm talking to you. I know that A couple years ago, I had some Jehovah's Witnesses come to my door every week. It was like clockwork. I wrote it down on my schedule. It was so clockwork. But I got the opportunity to flip flip the coin on them. They were trying to get me to convert to their ways, so I tried to get them to convert to my ways. And I know that there was one younger girl, probably a bit more impressionable. She seemed pretty new to this. But the fact that I pointed out the difference in the Bible, specifically John 1, their Bible says the word is a God, ours says, and the word was God. I, she left that day with a very thoughtful look on her face. I just realized a few minutes after they left, I just evangelized. Now her older compatriot was stone cold to what I had to say, but I got her thinking. There was another time I worked for a lawn maintenance company, spraying grass. And one of, the, I, di, I didn't stay there very long. It was only for a month. And then I was terminated for reasons beyond my comprehension. But a lot of the guys there were not believers in any stretch of the, In any, in, in anything. You just look at them, look at their lifestyle, and yeah, they're, they're not like us. But I managed to have a conversation with one of them during lunch one time. And he asked me all these kinds of questions about what I believe. And looking back, that might have been a really hard job for me to do, but if my only reason for being there was so I could talk to this guy about the truth, then it was worth it. So moving on from that, what happens when we evangelize? What, what takes place? Well, you plant a seed. A seed of thought and consideration. People get the opportunity to dive more on their own personal time into what it is you have to say. They can research it for themselves. But perhaps one of the biggest proponents is that if if you are walking in a godly manner, if your attitude reflects what it is you believe, that they will see that and they will start to wonder without you having to say a word. And I think that's something that's missing from a lot of us these days. I know my grandparents left the faith because people in church on Sunday morning were total opposite to what they were like on a weekly basis. That's why they left. Now I have a lot of un- undoing to do. But if your walk reflects what you believe about Jesus, then they will start to wonder. And maybe they will come up to you and ask what is so different about you? Why is it you do the things you do? And that is where the Holy Spirit can kick in. And that is where you can tell them, because I believe that there is something bigger than me, that I'm living for someone who saved me. Concept of evangelism is not about going and talking to someone and then that's it. It's not all in your court. It's you and the Holy Spirit through you talking to them. Remember the Matthew, the tax collector? Nobody liked? Everybody strayed away from him. But Jesus had to say one word, and it got him thinking. Because he left his booth and followed him. Now, could you imagine what would have happened if some random Pharisee came up and said, Come with me? It didn't have to be Jesus, but it was Jesus, so that he can make a point. Maybe that's the point I'm trying to make here. It doesn't have to be you necessarily, but what God does through you, that's that's what he's trying to accomplish. Because let's face it, Matthew left the tax collection business and wrote a gospel that we all know and love. That has to amount to something. In conclusion, I'm going to pray. And this is a prayer that I want you all to dwell on and to think about. If it sounds like you, then embrace the response at the end of it. Let's pray. Jesus, friend of sinners, we have strayed so far away. We cut down people in your name, but the sword was never ours to swing. Jesus, friend of sinners, the truth becomes so hard to see. The world is on their way to you but they're tripping over me. Lord, help us to see the blind spots where we might become a stumbling block to people. Lord, soften our hearts to the needs around us. Open our eyes, dear Lord, so that we can see the pain in the world, the pain that the world does not need to have accelerated by us, but needs soothing by you. Lord, help us to see way that you saw people. Help us, dear Lord, to remember that we are all the least of these. Let the memory of your mercy bring us to our knees so that we might be refreshed in the sense that we will be willing to reach out to people, that we would be willing to take a step forward and say, do you know about Jesus? No one knows only what we're no one knows what we're for, only what we're against when we judge people. Father, in a day and age where there are so many, many different organizations that like to hurt, to slash out with words instead of trying to stoop down and help, instead of looking at the person, they look at the problem. Father, help us to see the people at the core of the issue. Help us to understand that they need help and not another problem. Help us to put down our signs, cross over the line, and love like you did. Make us people of love, Father. Make us people with soft, tender hearts who break when they see someone who is struggling and they don't know you. Make us into your vessels, dear Lord. Renew in us a desire to fulfill the Great Commission. Renew in us a desire to reach out and to save people. In Barhead, in Alberta, in Canada, and then to the ends of the world, dear Lord. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you for any opportunity you send our way. In the words of the prophet Isaiah, here I am, Lord. Send me. Amen. Thank you so much for having us here. You are dismissed.